Welcome, everybody. Uh, my name is Waltraud Schäckle from the European Institute. I'm a political economist there. Um, it's a great pleasure to, for me to uh, welcome you to, a, am sure, a very topical and very interesting lecture by Vito Gaspar, who is a distinguished economist in his own right, an academic or head of research departments in the Banco de Portugal and uh, the ECB. Um, and then um, became the head of the uh, Bureau of Economic Policy Advisors uh, for Presi Commission President Barroso. And then he was taken to even more important tasks, namely being Finance Minister of Portugal. And uh, we are very much looking forward to his lecture. Before I give him the floor, let me just say that I would like to thank the APCO Worldwide Program to sponsor these lecture series to get us eminent people like Vito Gaspar to the LSE. Uh, if you want to follow this event on Twitter, I'm told I have to announce that it's hashtag LSE Portugal, all one word in small letters. And without further ado, I would like to give him the floor. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you. It is a uh, tremendous pleasure to be here at the LSC, which is uh, one of the best schools uh, in economics and political economy uh, in Europe and uh, worldwide. And it's an honor for me to have the opportunity to address you. And I want to thank uh, Professor Schekel uh, for her very kind words of uh, introduction. Uh, I'm uh, a big supporter of exchanges of views rather than uh, formal lectures, so I will do my best to keep my presentation uh, short so that we will have uh, ample time uh, to interact. All questions uh, will be most welcome, and the more lively the debate will be, uh, the app here, uh, how will be. I believe that the topic of uh, today's presentation, Portugal, restoring credibility and confidence, is uh, a topic which is of some interest uh, from the viewpoint of uh, students uh, in the LSC, because this topic uh, is very much linked with how policy and politics interact with expectations and perceptions uh, in a process that will eventually lead to the restoration of credibility and confidence, and that will be the acid test for the success of the adjustment program. So with this uh, plea uh, to get your interest in the uh, presentation, I will go on to say what the plan of the presentation is. I will spend some time at the beginning explaining what lies, in my view, at the roots of the current challenges that Portugal is uh, facing. This uh, reference to the difficult uh, Portuguese case is a, 
quote of uh, my very good friend Olivier Blanchard, who is the chief economist of the IMF, and analyzed the uh, Portuguese situation a few years ago, and he uh, labeled it the difficult uh, Portuguese case. So this is a quote from Olivier Blanchard. Then I want to give you the fundamentals of the economic and financial uh, assistance program, and that in a sense will be the core of the presentation. The goal is to convince you, to persuade you, that uh, following the economic and financial adjustment program, Portugal follows its own national public interest while at the same time uh, choosing a path which is favorable to uh, gaining credibility gradually over time and offers the country an insurance mechanism against possible adverse uh, trends that may occur and which are beyond the control of the country itself. The three pillars of the program are fiscal consolidation, financial stability and financial deleveraging, and structural transformation. Here I will probably not cover all the material in the presentation, but you know, because I've told you so, that I'm uh, most happy to discuss any aspect of the three pillars of the program that uh, you may be interested in. And finally, at the end of the presentation, I will argue that the strategy will work and I will uh, elaborate on how will it work. So that's the plan. on the way to become the difficult Portuguese case. Now Portugal accumulated macroeconomic imbalances and structural weaknesses for more than one decade. In a sense, the easiest way to explain the process is to think of a country that with participation in monetary union benefits from more favorable financing conditions than what it used uh, to have access to historically. Given this improved financing conditions, it was possible to finance increases in expenditure and that possibility was used by Portuguese households by Portuguese non-financial corporations, and it was used by the general government. So what we had is a situation where public finances were unsustainable in a persistent way, budget deficits were accumulated year after year, the public debt to GDP ratio did not decline even under favorable cyclical conditions. At the same time, the degree 
of indebtedness of uh, Portuguese households and Portuguese corporations increased, but this increase in expenditure was not directed to productive investment in the tradable sector. It was directed to uh, consumption and it was directed to expenditure in, sorry, to investment in the non-tradable and services sector. It was directed to sectors of the economy which, was, which were sheltered from external competition. And so we had this uh, uh, combination of unsustainable public finances, a very indebted uh, household, a non-financial corporation sector, and anemic growth and low productivity growth. Now those uh, weaknesses were revealed in uh, their fullness in the context of the euro area sovereign debt crisis and the financing conditions for the Portuguese general government and Portuguese banks deteriorated quite sharply and that led to the need for a request for international assistance in May last year. And here you have the details of the story, uh, but since I've basically gone through it, I will simply skip this slides that document the features that I have already uh, mentioned. I think it's, all, however, uh, important to stop a little bit uh, to look at obstacles to economic growth in Portugal because indeed if you look at the last decade the average growth rate and the potential output growth rate in the Portuguese economy is uh, very disappointing. Potential output growth in Portugal for the last 10 years or so is of the order of 1% in real terms uh, per year and that's very low. To a certain extent one can attribute that low level of growth to uh, restrictions on the market for corporate control, so restrictions on competition, protections of several sectors of the economy, that's again an example of restrictions on competition, weak conditions to entrepreneurial activity, poor functioning of the justice system, and rigidities in the labor market. And the consequences uh, are easy to assess uh, we didn't have enough inward uh, foreign direct investment. Uh, we had capital accumulation tilted towards the non-tradable goods and services sectors. We had lack of competition and therefore uh, large markups. We had low levels of innovation and productivity growth. And uh, in the end, we ended with high levels of youth and long-term uh, unemployment. This just shows you the growth performance of uh, Portugal in the uh, European context. You have Portugal in the uh, black line. You have the uh, euro area at 17 in the uh, gray line. And you see that the only country in this period that actually grew slower than Portugal in the chart is Italy in green. 
Now, under these circumstances, it's clear that the situation was unsustainable, and as I already announced, that led us to a situation where we had to re request international assistance in the form of an economic and financial adjustment program. Now, something which is uh, very important to realize is that once you have excessive debt and once you realize that the main obstacle to sustainable growth comes from structural rigidities, the best possible response at the national level is to engage in budgetary consolidation, preserve financial stability and favor an orderly financial deleveraging of the Portuguese economy with significant declines in debt levels for households and non-financial corporations. And clearly, it is necessary to engage in a far-reaching structural reform program in order to remove impediments to growth. These three elements are the key elements in the economic and financial adjustment program, and therefore they do coincide with what best serves the interests of Portugal. Now the program, the adjustment program, covers the period from 2011 to mid-2014. The financial package under the program is uh, 78 billion euros with 12 billion earmarked for banking sector recapitalization. In the program, the disbursement of each tranche depends on the outcome from technical missions that come to Portugal to do regular reviews on the progress of the program. And up to now, we already had two of those reviews, uh, one in August and the second one in November. In accordance with the uh, first and second reviews of the program, the Portuguese uh, program is uh, well on track. If you look at the pie chart in the slide, what you do see is that almost half of the total amount foreseen in the program has already been disbursed, uh, which means that the program is uh, significantly front-loaded. At the bottom of this slide, uh, you have the links to the IMF uh, website and the European Commission website where uh, the relevant material uh, on the evaluation of the Portuguese program is available. Now, the program, as I was saying, is based on fiscal consolidation. That is, we must put fiscal policy on a sustainable path, financial stability, and financial deleveraging, which is a fundamental element in the economic adjustment uh, process, and structural transformation, uh, which is key uh, to bring 
Portugal to a new level in terms of uh, potential growth and competitiveness. The Economic uh, Adjustment Program protects general government financing from market pressures. One aspect uh, which is central and it's uh, often uh, underemphasized is that uh, the country, Portugal, since it is under a program, does not finance itself in the Treasury bond market. And so the yield differentials, which have got a lot of press in uh, recent past, are, do not reflect returns that translate into cost of financing for the Portuguese government. Those are only secondary market uh, rates, and they're rates uh, which uh, represent prices in markets with very low turnover. In some platforms and some days, the turnover uh, value is actually zero. So you do see prices, but you don't have transactions at all. It is reasonable to argue that those uh, prices are not representative most of the time. They do not re reflect fundamentals, and therefore they're not well anchored. And I would argue that that is uh, the case. Now still, the program also allows the Portuguese government time uh, to restore confidence and credibility, since it is very clear that the program ensures the ability of the Portuguese Treasury to be out of uh, bond markets until the 23rd of September uh, 2013. The relevant date is the 23rd of September 2013. Uh, one interesting remark that I got from an American friend, David Westbrook, is that a sovereign debt crisis is an interesting crisis because it is a crisis that develops in accordance with a well-known calendar. And the calendar has to do with uh, when uh, big issues of uh, uh, bonds come due, and therefore one has to roll over uh, debt positions. It turns out that uh, for Portugal, the relevant date is the 23rd of uh, uh, September 2013. That's an interesting date also because the uh, bond maturing is a 15-year bond, which was originally issued on the 23rd of May 1998. It was the first time that Portugal issued a 15-year bond, and that long maturity was uh, possible because the decision to move into monetary union had just been taken, and the decision to fix irrevocably the uh, exchange rates had been announced. Initially, the issue of the bond was done uh, relative to a basket of currencies, including the Portuguese escudo with a small weight, the uh, Deutschmark, the French franc, and so on. But obviously, once monetary union started on the 1st of January 1999, 
uh, all of this was uh, transformed into the euro. So this particular bond is a uh, very interesting symbol of the participation of Portugal in monetary union and it is uh, interesting that it now becomes a symbol of the efforts that the country is doing to be able to establish confidence and credibility in order to get market access in a timely manner. Now, at this point in time, I think that I'm lucky in the sense that I'm able to talk to you at a time where we can put results on the table and examine the progress that Portugal was able to achieve during the course of 2011. And I will be arguing that the progress has been quite impressive. At the start of the program, in May 2011, Portugal was about to have general elections. And the degree of uncertainty that was faced was enormous. And I listed, for your benefit, five main risks. The risk of a weakening of political support for the program. We had the three largest Portuguese parties supporting the program but we had two left-wing parties not subscribing to the program and campaigning on the basis of the rejection of the program. So given that elections were due, one did not know what was uh, going to be the outcome. There was the risk that the macroeconomic scenario would prove unfavorable. There was the third danger that uh, uh, reaching the fiscal targets, respecting the fiscal limits would not be feasible. There was uncertainty regarding the stability of the financial sector and uh, also doubts concerning the ability of the Portuguese to put the structural reforms uh, in place. Now what we have up to now is that uh, political consensus around the program is very broad the three largest political parties that subscribe to the program have something very close to 90% of the members of the Portuguese parliament, close to 90%. The social support around the program is underlined by the fact that only about two weeks ago we got a social agreement that uh, reflects most of the structural reforms on the labor market front that are uh, on the program. If we focus on 2011, the recession was milder than what was uh, uh, projected in the program. Indeed, the program in May foresaw a decline of 2.2% uh, of in GDP and at this point in time, the best estimates point to uh, declines between 1.5, 1.6, so considerably milder than what was envisaged. Uh, in terms of uh, fiscal uh, targets, uh, we have met the 
fiscal uh, limit. We have overperformed the budget uh, limit. We have in 2011 a budget deficit of 4% uh, of uh, GDP. That is partially due to the uh, transfer of banks' pension funds to the general government, but in structural terms, we have an adjustment of about uh, four percentage points of GDP, which stands out in comparison with other uh, euro area countries. And we have made profound changes in the institutional organization of general government. Portuguese banks uh, are now significantly stronger uh, than they were in May. They have reinforced their capital ratios. They have uh, deleveraged uh, successfully. The loan to deposit ratio has declined from 166 to 146%. Uh, uh, bank deposits have grown above uh, the growth of bank deposits on average for the euro area, and that contrasts with uh, experiences uh, elsewhere. And when it comes to structural reforms, we have been able uh, to deliver successfully uh, on more than uh, 20 measures uh, which were foreseen in the uh, program, and that includes uh, labor market reform, uh, increases in competition, a change in the competition law is now in the uh, pipeline, and the privatization process is being uh, successful. So this is basically what I told you, but I still believe it's uh, quite impressive. The uh, budget deficit, that's the headline budget deficit on the left-hand side of the slide, uh, was 9.8% of GDP in 2010, and uh, it fell to 4% uh, in 2011. This 4% is a relatively low number uh, in the euro area. It's actually below the average uh, for the euro area. Uh, now, we do know that given that pension funds transfers were 3.5% of GDP, that without that transfer, the uh, result would have been a less impressive 7.5% of GDP. But please look at the right-hand side of the slide. You see that in structural terms, the deficit declined from 11.4% of GDP to 6.9. This is a tremendous adjustment. And that adjustment uh, effort was uh, successfully delivered uh, in 2011. And we also approved the uh, uh, 2012 budget law, and that foresees respecting the 4.5% of GDP limit in the program and in structural terms, that means that we will reach uh, 2.6 uh, at the end of uh, 2012, and that is a structural adjustment of a similar magnitude to what was already achieved in uh, 2011. Now, this is the point that I was making. If you look at structural adjustment, the uh, Portuguese case stands out with a adjustment effort which is three times the average that you see uh, in the euro area and it compares favorably with uh, most other 
member states, as you see from the chart. These numbers are not strictly comparable with the ones that I've shown you before. The source of this slide is the IMF's uh, fiscal monitor. This just looks at the uh, budgetary outturn during the course of 2011. This is uh, too detailed to be interesting for you, I believe. <laughs> this gives you some details on the composition of the adjustment between uh, total revenues and total expenditure. I'm very happy to discuss that with you in case you're interested. I believe it's uh, uh, important uh, to clearly signal to you that apart from actions to uh, cut uh, public expenditures and increase uh, tax revenues, and the program is clearly tilted to the control of expenditures which represent two-thirds or more of the adjustment effort, we also uh, undertook important structural measures to change the way the uh, public, sorry, the Portuguese uh, budget process uh, occurs. At this point in time, we have already appointed the members of the Portuguese Public Finance Council. The president of that council is a uh, very well-reputed lady from the, uh, coming from the Portuguese Central Bank. She used to be uh, chief economist at the Central Bank, Teodoro Cardoso. She's very well-reputed. And the Portuguese Public Finance Council also includes uh, some foreign members and uh, their international reputation uh, is uh, clearly established. Their professor Jürgen von Hagen from Bonn and uh, George Kopitz, who you may recall is uh, one of the leading experts uh, in this area of uh, how uh, to uh, manage a public finance council uh, since he was uh, very much involved in the setting up of a similar uh, organization in his home country, Hungary. Uh, we also have uh, presented to Parliament what we call a commitments control law that uh, limits the ability of public entities to uh, engage in commitments and limits their ability to do so to available funds. That basically means that uh, public entities in Portugal can only engage in commitments if they can prove that they have the funds in order to be able to pay the respective bills in a timely way. There are some uh, uh, more, uh, some other important actions and some challenges that we'll have to meet in the near future. So if you allow me, I will jump over uh, financial stability, but I'm quite happy to discuss financial stability and the leveraging in case you're interested. I will also jump over uh, structural transformation, although that is of crucial important, importance. And I will go straight to how will it work, trying to fulfill my
promise of uh, keeping my presentation short so that we can interact a lot. So let me go to the last slide. This is the last slide. So how does this, this work? As I try to argue, the characteristics of our adjustment process involving a decline in debt levels for Portuguese households, for Portuguese non-financial corporations, and obviously for the general government, is unavoidable. Clearly, it is in the best interest of Portugal to have this adjustment going on in an orderly way. The program, as I described, allow us to get protection from market vagaries and gives us time to affect perceptions and expectations so that credibility and confidence can be built gradually over time, allowing us to get back to financing at market conditions sometime during the course of uh, 2013. Now, deleveraging and budgetary consolidation are inevitable. They're necessary conditions for successful adjustment, but they're not sufficient. In order for the program to be a success, it is necessary that this crisis is used as an opportunity for positive, positive change. And that positive change, that structural transformation, will create the basis for a stronger Portuguese economy that will be more competitive, more attractive to foreign investors, more able to create employment, more flexible, more able to be successful within Europe and in the global economy. How can we be confident that the process will be successful? We have very important assets on our side. As I argue, we have broad internal consensus, which is political and social, about the need for adjustment. We benefit from the support from our international partners, from other European member states, and that gives us access to financing, that, and that financing goes into 2014 and is compatible with the situation where we gradually go back to markets during the course of the year of uh, 2013. Portugal has been able to adjust previously and if you look at the 50 years from 1950 to 2000, Portugal is one of the success economies in the world economy. Portugal has been very successful at growing for a period of 50 years. 
Portugal in the past has always proven to be a very cohesive and very performing society when facing important crises and what is perceived by the Portuguese society as national challenges. In earlier occasions of uh, IMF-sponsored programs in 77, 78, and 83, 84, Portugal has been very successful at adjusting and the Portuguese private sector has always been able to adjust successfully. The adjustment of the Portuguese private sector is going on very successfully at this point in time. We have already achieved very impressive results uh, in 2011 and we are going to continue to deliver results during the course of 2012. With regular reviews at quarterly time intervals, we are going to be able to put this progress on record. And as our achievements will be recognized, we'll be able to build up credibility and confidence gradually at home and abroad, and that has the potential to generate a virtuous cycle where results feed into credibility, which makes results easier to achieve in a very positive feedback loop. And that's why I believe that the program will be fully successful and that in a year's time I will be able to come back here, if you do invite me, and document success. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you very much for a very informative speech. I think it should be made a condition in the stability programs that they always have to come back and report to LSE whether they have achieved their goals. Um, I will take questions. Um, the minister has come here for debate with the general public, with students, with other scholars, and not to give a press conference. So we will not take questions from journalists. I will ask the public to uh, identify themselves if they have a question, and we are then happy to engage in a debate. So, who has a question? First one here, then down here. Hi, good evening. Um, I'm a former LSE student. My name is Inesh. Um, I'd like to ask you a question. I mean, you, you mentioned that the spreads are quite illiquid and then should be taken as a proxy, but. Uh, if you look at what the market comments are and what the rating agencies are saying about Portugal, uh, it's still not recognizing these efforts. And I want to see if you had an opinion on that. There's one more question here. I take three and then please here. Amend. Neil Slicker, Observatory Capital, former student of LSE. I have a question regarding Could you the speak time up a little bit? Uh, I have a question regarding the time frame. You say you have financing up to 2014. Uh, we've seen some numbers, uh, 30 billion extra financing requirements from uh, state-owned enterprises. Uh, we see, we've seen uh, uh, worse economic growth numbers for general Europe, <coughs> but also for Portugal. I mean, how does this actually look, and do we, what's the chance that we end up in September 2013 or even earlier than that. Thank you. The lady there. 
Uh, sorry, you will have to repeat the last few words because I missed the question. I'm really sorry about that. Okay, <laughs> it, it's regarding the time frame 2014. Uh, you would like to have the time to show results. Um, what do you think, considering the economic growth being uh, revised downwards or the, the contraction being uh, higher, uh, and also the re refinancing needs from state-owned uh, state enterprises. What do you think that time frame is going to be and when do you think it's going to come to a head? You were saying September 2013 for the bond, but could it be that it would go earlier in light of the recent uh, global events? Then the lady, yes, and then we'll take Thank you. Paula Howard from Country, Country Risk at the Royal Bank of Scotland. Um, I had a couple of questions, just pulling together the, the two questions just asked. Could you um, add further comment on the forward structural reform agenda, so what you're planning to do further than what's already been identified given the short timetable left to market access or hopeful market access and also the, the recent deterioration in, in yields and the secondary markets. Um, the other question I was wondering about is um, the, the mood in the, in the country itself, so arguably some of the austerity measures are only just starting to, <coughs> excuse me, just starting to bite and um, it'd be nice if you could add a bit of flavour um, around what the, what the public mood um, is like. Thank you. Okay. As you like. No, I come here just because at some point it will be uh, useful to use some slides mm -hmm. uh, and therefore it's uh, easier uh, to be here. Now, you're absolutely right uh, that the, uh, if you look at many uh, market comments and if you look at comments uh, from rating agencies, uh, you see that part of the progress that I'm claiming has not been <coughs> reflected in those uh, comments that you quote. And, uh, but I believe that that is uh, something which should not surprise us uh, greatly. What you have, in fact, is a situation where it takes time to document success. That is, you can build credibility only gradually over time. Uh, during the first few months, we have many announcements, but not many results. That is, you can explain what the strategy is, but you cannot document success. This is about being able to deliver on the program. So you really have to establish a track record. In a sense, it is very natural uh, to come here to the LSC and have this type of dialogue uh, after uh, the close of 2011. At this point in time, we can comment with reasonable <coughs> prudence on the outcome of the budget for 2011. 
the estimate of a budget deficit of 4% last year is reasonably accurate. So is the estimate of a structural adjustment at or in excess of 4 percentage points of GDP. At this point in time, we also have uh, success with the very important privatization of uh, EDP. We have been able to reach a social agreement with this very important labor market reforms. So at this point in time, we can point to uh, important elements of the program and prove that we have delivered on what was foreseen in the program. And that allow us a very good basis on which to start to build credibility. Before you achieve results, it's very, very hard to credibly establish a track record. That can only be done to repeat uh, gradually over time. I try to argue that the program itself, by being very precise on what has to be achieved and by when, allow us a natural framework to build that credibility and confidence gradually over time. The quarterly regular reviews in which the uh, IMF, the European Commission and the ECB will examine progress on the program, uh, naturally focus the debate on those dimensions. Up to now, we had two reviews. The conclusion was that the program uh, was on track. And that conclusion from the Troika has been repeated by the uh, informal European Council statement that was issued uh, just last Monday. In that statement, the, uh, the heads of state and uh, government of the European Union take note that Portugal and Ireland are fulfilling the quantitative limits in the program and meeting the structural benchmarks and state uh, their willingness to continue to support the countries in their return to financing at market conditions, uh, conditional on uh, continued performance in meeting the goals of the program. Now, the issue about the uh, macroeconomic scenario is uh, one that can easily be exaggerated. Obviously, a small open economy like the Portuguese one is uh, sensitive to uh, developments in the global economy and the euro area economy, no doubt about it. But in a situation where uh, we are undergoing an adjustment of an enormous magnitude with a sharp decline in domestic absorption, the performance of uh, net exports will be driven mostly not by the growth rate of uh, foreign demand, but by the differential between domestic absorption in Portugal and domestic absorption in the rest of the world. Now clearly, uh, given again the size of the adjustment that we are undergoing, 
that means that we can reasonably expect an increase in uh, market share of Portuguese exports. Uh, and that means that the qualitative characteristics of the adjustment path uh, will not change much. It's very important to recognize that when we perform uh, that sustainability analysis in the context of the program, we assume unchanged uh, potential output growth uh, based on historical experience. So we assume real growth, uh, not far at all, but below 1% per year. Given the breadth and depth of structural reforms that we undertake, uh, we can reasonably expect uh, growth potential in the country uh, to increase already significantly over the medium term, say three years, and probably even more significantly at the longer time horizon of, say, 10 years. Now, in terms of the design of the adjustment in the program, those possible uh, favorable impacts on growth potential are not taken into account at all, which means that the program is designed in order to be uh, robust and uh, thereby uh, credible. I have seen comments concerning uh, some estimates of uh, possible uh, financing needs of the country coming from uh, state-owned enterprises. And uh, concerning this issue, uh, it's very important for me to repeat the very emphatic uh, uh, sentence which was used by the Prime Minister. He said, we will not ask for more time or more money. Uh, we will deliver the limits in the program and we will deliver the structural benchmarks in the program. Now, this is extremely important. The program has a number of fundamental characteristics. The quantitative limits on deficits and debt, government deficits and government debt, the financial envelope, and the time frame. And I've argued that the characteristics of the program with budgetary consolidation, financial adjustment, structural reform are in the country's best interest. They are also fulfilling the program is what allows Portugal to have continued access to financing. And moreover, it offers the country an insurance mechanism which was made explicit again in the European Council statement of last Monday when it is said that if the country fulfills the program, uh, European support is available to facilitate uh, regaining uh, market access. Now, under these conditions, it becomes uh, very clear that the 
fulfillment of the conditions of the program is a dominant uh, strategy from the viewpoint of uh, Portugal. Now, I was asked about the very important structural transformation agenda. And what we have here is the uh, four areas that we identify as key for the structural transformation agenda. The first has to do with confidence, credibility, and justice. Uh, confidence and credibility we have spoke about. Justice has a lot to do with uh, team spirit. That is, Portugal is going to be successful because we're going to be able to do this together. And that points to political uh, cohesion, to social cohesion, and a sense of national purpose. We have many examples that that is going on uh, extremely successfully and that the Portuguese are in large numbers supporting the need and the priority of adjustment. I believe that is the dominant mood in the country. We are facing a situation that can be uh, characterized as one of emergency and therefore it's crucial that every Portuguese is committed to helping the collective effort around the adjustment process. And a very large majority seems completely determined to do so. Then we have a second pillar having to do with openness, competition, and competitiveness. That has to do with making sure that Portugal is uh, well integrated uh, in Europe and in the global economy. It has to do with the elimination of excessive rents. It has to do with the revision of the competition law. It has to do with uh, lowering markups in product and labor markets. Uh, estimates suggest that the growth dividend associated with those measures is uh, quite substantial. <coughs> Next, we have entrepreneurship, innovation, and labor market flexibility. Human capital in Portugal is uh, quite more impressive than is uh, sometimes recognized abroad. For example, as a percentage of students, uh, Portugal has a very large uh, proportion of uh, students getting PhDs. So from that viewpoint, we have a share of highly qualified people uh, that does rank uh, favorable, favorably in the European context. What is key here is that we're able to mobilize the tremendous human capital which is uh, enshrined in the uh, younger generations and we can mobilize uh, younger people in order to make the Portuguese economy much uh, better performing and much more uh, flexible. Part of the agenda, and this is the last point, 
has to do with limiting the state being able to have a general government that performs effectively the fundamental economic and social function of the state while being much more efficient, that is, absorbing much uh, less resources. And here we also have our economic democracy agenda, which is basically to make uh, Portugal a much more open access society where the ability to uh, um, improve the functioning of social networks and the accumulation of social capital becomes uh, much uh, easier. What we do see is that uh, up to now, we had a situation where we were supposed to have implemented 26 measures uh, of a structural uh, nature. Uh, we have been able to deliver in accordance to schedule on uh, 22. We have partially delivered on four, and uh, there is uh, nothing on this side that is uh, not, uh, which has not been observed. And the source of this assessment is uh, the European Commission. So again, uh, the uh, structural transformation agenda is not finished. The structural adjustment, uh, the structural transformation agenda has just started, but a lot has already been achieved. And uh, so what has been delivered already in uh, 2011 is a very good basis uh, to expect us to be successful in the future. Moreover, it is simply not true that the adjustment when it comes to uh, domestic demand and domestic absorption is starting now. As I pointed out, the uh, adjustment which has already taken place in 2011 uh, is already quite impressive. And so what we're talking about in 2012 is continuing that process. It is quite impressive, at least to me, that in accordance with the last uh, projections by the Central Bank, we are expecting a trade surplus this year already, and we are uh, expecting a current account balance uh, already in 2013. And that is well ahead of what was uh, originally envisaged in the program. So it does seem that the adjustment has been uh, going on quite successfully already, and during this period, the mood of the country has been one of uh, full mobilization around the need for adjustment and the need to do this in a uh, very uh, cohesive and in a process based not on uh, unanimity, but a sense of political and social dialogue. So I hope I have answered your questions. And I look forward to yes. the next round. I have you, but I also would like to take some further up. So um, there was a gentleman in the middle with a, well, now he doesn't raise his hands anymore. So take somebody in cheap seats further up there. Um, yes, the, the, the young man who is raising his hands. Thank you. Hi, uh, my name is Tomaj. I'm a, uh, I work here in a bank in London. Can you uh, repeat your name, please? Tomas, Tomas. 
first of all, thank you very much for what you've been doing for Portugal so far. Um, and <laughs> no, seriously, your, your, your agenda, uh, I mean, being a, an immigrant here, uh, is a Portuguese immigrant here, you hear a lot of things about our country and your job so far has been outstanding, so thank you for that. My question is, I know the focus right now is on the structural transformation, on the fiscal consolidation. However, when you first took the mandate, my, my, my big question to you is, what are the pillars of growth of Portugal? Right now, it's, we have to focus on this tremendous uh, program, which is very hard, and all the austerity measures that come with it. But if we take a step back, what, how can Portugal grow in the future? What are our sectors of growth and the pillars of growth for the economy? Nice, easy question. Uh, <laughs> is there somebody else up there while the steward is there? Yes, the, the man in the green. And then somebody down here, please. As uh, part of the recapitalization program, um, it was mentioned that certain state assets would be sold off. Uh, would that include TAP? And if so, when? Can you identify yourself? Please? Sorry, uh, Ben Millington Buck, chairman of the Anglo-Portuguese Society here in London. Very good. And then the gentleman down here who had wanted to have it earlier. You should raise your hand so that she can see. Now down here. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, he Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm an LSE alumni in economics. Uh, my question and is... And what are you now? Are you a journalist? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no but I am an economist. <laughs> uh, but I want to ask you about the... Um, the financial sector. I thought uh, you, know, you, you mentioned some aspects and you flicked past a fl slide that looks very interesting. I would love to see that a little bit more. But in particular, how do you see the potential need for further uh, recapitalization of the banking sector? Do you see that uh, the non-performing loans in the banking sector, you know, are they, at what level are they right now and do you see them coming significantly lower? And how does it look in terms of meeting the uh, you know, Basel capital ratios by the middle of the year. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. I have to go there again. <laughs> this is the curse of the slides. So, uh, if I had... Uh, gone longer through my presentation, I would have uh, said that we intend to uh, launch the process leading to the privatization of uh, TAP very soon. And this is just the launch of the process, it's not the completion of the process, so the launch of the process is about to start, and the goal is uh, to complete the process of uh, privatization of TAP as uh, fast as uh, feasible. Uh, so that is, uh, that is uh, very clear. Now let me go to the earlier slide on the uh, reinforcement of banks' capital and the leveraging process, which I do believe addresses some of the questions that you did raise uh, add-on, in particular 
uh, the one concerning uh, capital ratios. So we have a situation uh, in Portugal where Portuguese banks have to respect a core tier one target of 9% by the end of June uh, 2012, and that is the requirement under the uh, European Banking Authority exercise that uh, requires banks, in addition to a conventional core tier one uh, capital requirement, to build up a additional buffer uh, to deal with uh, sovereign debt exposures. So there is a requirement over and above the core tier one target of 9%. Moreover, there is a uh, Central Bank of Portugal uh, core tier one uh, requirement that uh, requires Portuguese banks to have to meet a core tier one uh, capital ratio of 10% by the end of uh, 2012. Uh, Portuguese banks have uh, submitted to the central bank uh, funding plans in early January. I believe that the uh, exact date was the 7th of January and they have submitted to the Central Bank of Portugal uh, plans to reinforce their capital base on the 20th of uh, January. So those uh, uh, plans are being examined by the Central Bank and in accordance with the schedule, the uh, Bank of Portugal will have to give its view and interact with the European Banking Authority before the end of uh, February uh, in order to achieve the uh, target of uh, 9% in June 2012 and the additional requirement of 10% by the end of the year. Now, the uh, estimates of uh, uh, capital needs for Portuguese banks were actually published in the context of the EBA uh, exercise, and they're a uh, relatively low percentage of the 12 billion uh, that are earmarked in the program for bank recapitalization. And of course, you have to bear in mind that uh, public recapitalization with public funds is only a last resort as a first resort, uh, one uh, is supposed to use uh, private sources of capital, namely from the current structure of uh, uh, banks' uh, shareholders. Uh, so from that viewpoint, uh, this situation seems to be uh, safe. Now, moreover, uh, when you asked about non-performing loans, uh, the uh, ratio of non-performing loans has been increasing uh, because that's the characteristic that you would expect given the uh, business cycle developments in the country, but also because from September last year onwards, the central bank uh, 
started publishing a new time series uh, which makes the criteria used for the compilation of non-performing loans in the country comparable with uh, international methodologies which are stricter in terms of criteria than uh, the uh, usual practice in uh, Portugal. But something which is uh, of uh, extreme importance is that in the context of the program, uh, special on-site inspections have been conducted uh, on the balance sheets of uh, uh, Portuguese banks, and those uh, on-site inspections have by and large certified that the degree of provisioning and the um, evaluation of risk which is done by the uh, Portuguese banks is in line with the required standards and so no substantive uh, changes are required and all the results, all the relevant results from the uh, on-site inspection program are available from the uh, central bank's uh, website. At the same time, we have been changing the regulatory uh, framework and the uh, legislation uh, allows for uh, early intervention and resolution and has uh, uh, strengthened the ability of the central bank to act in a active way to prevent risks to financial stability from materializing. And I do believe that does answer uh, your question. I don't think that you asked anything about the deleveraging process, so I will leave the second part of the slide out. Now, concerning the question from Tomas, whom I uh, do thank for the very kind words of uh, introduction and a uh, very important question, which uh, I got repeatedly from <coughs> international audiences and uh, many times is formulated in the simpler way, where is growth going to come from? So that's kind of like the punchline version of uh, Tomas' question. Now, first of all, part of what we ha are going to see in terms of uh, recovery is going to come from a normal cyclical recovery. Uh, from that viewpoint, what you do have in the program is a situation where the economy adjusts quite sharply for a couple of years, and after that very sharp uh, economy, it bounces back because uh, the economy has uh, lots of sp spare capacity, so it becomes clear that the economy has to, has to start going uh, back to trend because for the dynamic sectors of the economy, which are going to be concentrated in the tradable goods sector and in particularly the export sector, uh, capacity constraints are starting to bind and so those sectors will have to invest and expand in order to be able to continue to meet the uh, available uh, demand. So th that's what we have in the context of 
the program, that's a cyclical recovery. As I emphasized, in the program, we don't allow for uh, structural reforms to impact potential output growth because we want uh, debt sustainability and financially deleveraging to be robust and therefore to be successful under very conservative assumptions concerning the performance of the economy. But we have good reasons to expect the growth prospects uh, to improve over time. And why is that? If you use a uh, conventional dynamic general equilibrium model, like the ones that I'm sure are quite common here at LSE, and if you have in the model monopolistic competition, as you now have in most standard macro models, it turns out that uh, countries like Portugal or Italy are characterized by larger markups between costs, between marginal costs and prices or uh, wages than the average economy in the euro area. Now, if you assume, and my example here is Italy, if you assume that markups are reduced to the average of the euro area, estimates performed by researchers from the European Central Bank, Banca d'Italia, and the Central Bank of Portugal, estimate that the impact on potential output after 10 years is about 10%, and that about 50, <coughs> 5-0% of that impact is already visible after three years. We have not particular guarantees that these estimates will prove accurate, but these models have been able to replicate the uh, performance of the German economy under the uh, structural reforms programs that were carried out uh, in Germany and have contributed to the impressive performance of the German economy uh, in recent past. So, in a summary, where growth is going to come from? It's going to come from the elimination of macroeconomic imbalances that will provide a sound basis for the e economic recovery to take hold from a cyclical viewpoint. That's the logic of the adjustment program. And then we have this structural transformation agenda that we can hope will have a positive impact on uh, potential output and potential output growth. And the magnitude of this uh, effect may well be uh, large. And in any case, the structural transformation agenda is uh, what is going to ground uh, future uh, Portuguese uh, prosperity and competitiveness. So that's where growth is going to come from. Thank you. One more question over there. Uh, I would like to ask myself one quick question, if I may. Um, how do you see this Troika construction? You mentioned your friend uh, Olivier Blanchard, the chief economist of the IMF. On the one hand, should the IMF be in there, or should this not be a matter for the Europeans themselves? And should the ECB be in there, given that the central bank should perhaps not be in such contentious programs that go into fiscal matters? The 
other question and then we'll finish, I'm afraid. That's all we have time for. Hi, I'm Kieran Woods, uh, City Group. Um, I'd like you to elaborate a bit on what you said about there um, not being any day-to-day -day trading in the short end of the, the Portuguese curve because to me, instead of, instead of that sort of making a case for fundamentals being more important just shows that there isn't demand for, for, for debt at those, at those yield levels. Um, which brings me on to the second part of the question, um, where you mentioned Ask the January. Only one question. No, no, well, it, well, it is the one question. Is okay. okay. Um, Stated now. We have we're running uh, out of with time. With the January 18th Sorry. auction, which went much better than things had been going. Now, to me, the reason for that, um, in line with Italy moving tighter, uh, other peripherals moving tighter, is that we now have the LTRO. So, I mean, to what extent is that actually a meaningful reflection on? what you're doing rather than just a reflection on there being a huge amount of liquidity injected into the system. I'd be interested if you elaborate on that a bit. Okay. Thank you. If you don't mind, Professor, I will start with that question. Yes, absolutely. Um, now, the situation as I see it is the following. The uh, uh, moves by the European Central Bank are not exogenous moves. The central bank works in a systematic way, and the European Central Bank follows rules like behavior, and so the behavior is very systematic. So the LTRO that you quote did not come out of the blue. Actually, the ECB explained that it saw the fiscal compact that had just been agreed at the level of a summit to be a very important anchor uh, for the long run, increasing substantially uh, the credibility of uh, fiscal discipline uh, in the euro area. Now, to my mind, we have made further progress at European level in terms of being able to establish the credibility of uh, fiscal discipline anchors and the treaty on stability, uh, coordination and governance uh, which has been agreed does change the game of uh, budgetary policies in uh, member states of the euro area quite substantially making uh, budgetary discipline uh, much more uh, credible and one could go through the various elements uh, that make that so. It's a very important element. And in that context, in a context where long-run stability is uh, much better anchored, the ability of the various uh, players in the euro area to act flexibly in crisis management and resolution mode is much improved. And indeed, you're right, that does benefit countries like Portugal quite substantially. Yes, and that should be very much welcome. It's not like if something favors the adjustment of the uh, Portuguese economy that does not come directly from the effort of the Portuguese, then it must be wrong. 
uh, it's a favorable development that we recognize and that we very much welcome. Uh, it's a very important uh, development. And indeed, you're right. One of the factors behind the improvement in the financing conditions that we have seen in Portuguese auctions uh, in mid-January and also today does partially reflect the factor that you mentioned, but I do believe it also reflects uh, progress uh, in the program because what you do see in, the, in these auctions is that interest rates have come down, uh, bidding amounts have uh, increased, the uh, participation share of non-residents has uh, uh, increased as well, and we have been able uh, to place uh, treasury bills at 11-month maturity, and that's the first time uh, that we ha the Portuguese treasury has been able to do so since uh, April uh, 2011. So uh, we have uh, quite broad-based progress in the uh, treasury uh, bonds uh, auction market. And so I do believe that that reflects a number of factors of which the one that you mentioned is an important one, but not the uh, only one. The Troika. The Troika. The Troika is uh, a very important uh, part of the way the adjustment program works. Uh, the Troika does help us in uh, bringing to bear in the management of the Portuguese program a wealth of uh, international experience uh, coming from uh, other countries, other examples. We have recently organized in Lisbon a workshop on structural transformation. And in that workshop, uh, experts from the Troika, Portuguese academics, uh, professionals from various uh, sectors, people active in political life, interacted in a very productive way in order to deepen the structural transformation agenda. And results from that workshop will feed in to policy decisions to be taken at the time of uh, the third review of the program, which will take place in the second half of February. So our uh, interaction uh, with the Troika at expert level, at professional level, uh, is uh, uh, very productive and very helpful. Moreover, and I would not underestimate that uh, those aspects at all, the involvement of the Troika is absolutely key to certify that the actions that were foreseen in the program are being delivered as agreed. And that's very important to mobilize the international support that we must have behind the program. And last, but not least, the fact that we have these regular reviews at the quarterly frequency is a tremendous asset because it allows us to put on record that we have performed in accordance with what was agreed under the program and therefore we have delivered the limits for the deficit and debt. We have delivered in terms of the structural benchmarks and so on and so forth. Now, the involvement of the International Monetary Fund, the European Central Bank, and the European Commission strengthens our ability to put on record 
that the progress, that the program is on track and progress is occurring exactly on schedule that allow us a better chance of accumulating credibility and confidence that, as I believe we all agree in this room, is absolutely key to be able to regain uh, market access under normal conditions in time. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you uh, for an excellent speech and uh, for informative discussion. I ask you to remain seated. Um, we wish you and Portugal all the best. I think you did everything you could this tonight to assure us about your progress. Uh, the minister and I will now leave the room and then please remain seated as long as we leave the room and then you can leave. Thank you very much for participating. <laughs>